From the Financial Times in London, I'm Patrick Jenkins, the FT's financial editor, and this is FT News. US banks have been given a green light to return up to $100 billion to shareholders in a great capital return following stress tests. Well, here to discuss that with me is Ben McClanahan, the US banking editor, and also Chris Kotowski from Oppenheimer. The big news of the past week or so is that every single bank uh, that took the stress test this year has been cleared. Now, of course, there was a partial fail for Capital One, but it's got six months to improve. But the big picture is that uh, the Fed has pronounced every single bank that took the test sufficiently well capitalized. So, so what does this mean for the banking system? I think the banking system has radically de-risked its balance sheets. And the big banks, the, the universal banks, they've been building their capital bases even after they came well above the theoretical minimums. They've been building them right up through the first quarter of this year. And now I think it means the Fed is comfortable enough that they can allow the banks to right-size their capital stack. So what does right-sizing mean? That implies that they're wrong now. Certainly companies like Citibank with a 12.8% CET1 ratio, mm-hmm. I think is overcapitalized. And the reason why it's a problem is that if you are running a bank with a 12.8% capital ratio, your returns are going to be lower than a bank that looks exactly like you in every other way that's got an 11% capital ratio. And in the long run, it creates an uneven playing field. And I think importantly also for the investors who invested to recapitalize Citi on the heels of the last financial crisis, if you never allow them to earn a reasonable return on the investment that they made, the next time there's a financial crisis, nobody's going to invest in financial institutions. Okay. And you were saying before that um, most of the investors in Citi these days are, in fact, these guys that came post-crisis, that they have nothing to do with the legacy of Citi. Well, yeah, I like to say Citi diluted its shareholder base 10 for 1. The shareholders who own the stock now are not the ones who benefited from the largesse of the government. They are the ones who put up their hard-earned money mm-hmm. in order so that the government could get paid back its TARP money. Okay. And if you never allow those people to earn a decent return, see how we do in the next financial crisis. So uh, what is a decent return for a big bank? What has been an acceptable return in the past? I'm looking at uh, data from uh, Professor Damarodin in from NYU who's mm-hmm. got data on over 7,000 companies. And in general, what his data shows is that the market earns a 12 to 14 percent, and the banks have historically been in that same range. And it makes sense if you think about it. The banks, as best I can tell, account for about 12 to 15 percent of the capital that's used in the economy. And of course, in the long run, that pool of capital needs to be managed in order to return the same the rest of the economy does. Mm-hmm. Now, is it the obsession with capital that we've seen over the past what, seven or eight years since CCAR, the stress test, was born? Is that now beginning to, to change? I would hope so, because capital is not a silver bullet for managing banks well or for resolving a crisis. And the Fed has this thing that they call the CAMEL score, yeah. and it stands for Capital Asset Quality Management Liquidity and sensitivity to securities risk. And that's, I think, a pretty reasonable and thoughtful list of all the things that make for a sound bank. And the problem with it is the capital, the C, is -hmm. the part that's the easiest to quantify because you can boil it down to a single ratio and you can just try to push it up, up, up. But 
if you reflect back to the crisis in 2006, Wachovia had higher capital ratios than J.P. Morgan. National City had higher capital ratios than U.S. Bank. Remind us what happened to National City. They nearly failed and were sold to uh, PNC. And Wachovia uh, was swallowed up by Wells Fargo. Yeah. Okay, so capital and isn't the be-all and end-all. The capital isn't the be-all and end-all. It's clearly important. But the thing is, even in the heart of the crisis... J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo were able to raise capital because they had the other things. They had good asset quality, they had good management, they had good liquidity, and they weren't uh, sensitive to securities risk. Mm -hmm. Whereas Citibank and Countrywide, they didn't have those things, and so they couldn't raise capital. In the long run, if all you do ever is push capital up, the banks have to respond by raising prices, tightening credit, and spending less money on delivery. So you're going to shrink uh, the bank's sphere of operations if all you ever do is push up capital. So by pushing down capital, of course, it's good news for, for shareholders, for equity investors. What about consumers? By, by that logic, then, um, if they've been tougher on pricing, are other banks now about to relax conditions for consumers? At the margin, yes. Right After the financial crisis, we roughly doubled the capital requirements for the banking system. Yeah. And for the big four, we more than doubled them. So yes, you know what you have to do is you have to raise prices, cut access, and, and that makes the pool of clients that you're serving smaller but more profitable. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is going to be a very marginal tweak. I don't think anybody is talking about radically bringing down the capital. Like Citibank, for mm-hmm. example, talks about bringing its capital from 12.8 down to 11 or 11 and a half. And uh, that doesn't sound like a huge move. But A, just the fact that it's not going up every single quarter is mm-hmm. a help. And B, at 11 and a half, you'd be a lot closer, say, to the average regional bank that's like 10, 10 and a half, something right. like that. Whereas at near 13, you really have to start pricing your products differently than most of the competitors. Well, just to draw this all together, is it now a changed environment for the banks? Lots of these banks are being run by the same people who endured a pretty severe crisis and a pretty harsh uh, aftermath. How do things change from here? I think the banking industry is, for the next 10 or 20 years, psychically different regardless of what happens with the regulation. I think in response to the stress test, they have spent the last seven or eight years de-risking their loan portfolios. You're done with the low FICO score borrowers. You're done with high loan-to-value loans. You've gone through this painful period of adjustment. You've narrowed your product line to kind of just the higher quality borrowers. You've dealt with the uh, you know expense assumptions and all that. I don't think anyone's going to go back the other way. And the other thing I think that has really changed the banks forever is the mass of litigation and fines that came on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the banks were still paying fines, writing billions of dollars of checks every quarter in 2014. For Bank of America, sin- J.P. Morgan. For sins that were often committed by a different management team more than a decade earlier. And even if you were to have a Trump administration that says it's back to the Wild West, people are going to have a long memory about this. And the other example of that is these so-called operational risk-weighted assets, okay, yeah. where you know J.P. Morgan has $400 billion, Bank of America has $500 billion, and it was just the Fed's way of saying, well, you have to have an extra 40 or $50 billion of capital because you did these things back in the crisis that we didn't like. Again, I think even if you get assurances from the current administration, all the bank managements know that there's going to be a different administration there 10 or 15 years from now, and they might have a very different view of it. 
So are, are the big losers from, from there last week, are, are they the non-banks that have benefited from the, uh, the risk aversion of the past few years? That remains to be seen. Again, I don't think the banks are going to go out and quickly ramp up their risk appetite. And to the extent that anyone has rapidly expanded in subprime loans, uh, you, you see some of the non-bank uh, mm-hmm. companies, a, a lot of them have had their share of issues with that. And again, I think generally it's not going to be that big a problem, but I don't think there are going to be any big tectonic shifts in the uh, landscape here as a result of last week. Okay. Well, my thanks to Ben uh, McClanahan and Chris Kotowski from Popman. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.